Welcome back and to series two of The Skin Pod with me, Louise Thomas-Mins, skin health therapist, educator, product founder and serial entrepreneur. I am excited to bring you once again a whole host of special guests who all have one thing in common, an interest, an obsession in skincare. Before we get going with this week's episode, I want to tell you about the sponsors of this series, which happens to be very close to my heart, as it's Louise Thomas Skincare, a real labour of love uh, that started some 18 years ago, um, was to develop and formulate my own signature skincare range. Seven years ago, I started this process and earlier in 2022, I launched the first in the range, The Cleanser. It's really been a tough ride to get to launch with my vision being quite a simple one. Through my passion, expertise and education, I aim to empower everybody to take control of their skin health. You can learn more about my mission and the products at louisethomasskincare.co.uk. I do remember as a child picking onions straight out of the garden and eating them like apples. I don't think I could do that now, but I have such a memory of... Yeah, I kind of just burn out, Louise, and developed a really serious inflammatory bowel condition. And I met my husband on holiday in the Canary Islands, so I stayed in Europe. And there had a really serious car crash, broke my back, spent two and a half months laying flat on my back in hospital. It's just incredible what we are discovering, a brain microbiome everywhere in our body. And we have to talk about poo. So we don't want to be going Mr Whippy style. So many amazing takeaways. And actually, not literally, don't go and order a takeaway. (laughs) Welcome Catherine Jeans to the Skin Pod. Catherine is a highly experienced functional nutritional therapist, author, and speaker who specialises in family health with a particular interest in digestion. I can't wait to chat about something that not only fascinates me, but is also so relevant to skin health, and that being the mysterious microbiome. Catherine, thank you for joining me and welcome. Thanks. It's really nice to be here, Louise. Oh, so I think, you know, the obvious place to start, because we were just saying, actually, before we start, before we pressed record, that we've chatted a lot via social media and emailed and we're fairly local to each other. But this is the first time we've had a proper conversation, a proper chat, which is brilliant. And I know we share in the nicest sense a lot of clients. So I know a lot of clients speak really highly of your work. And I've been privy from the outside of some of the sort of exploration that you've done with them. So it's a real joy to have you here. And I can certainly pick your brains from a personal viewpoint, but hopefully the listeners will also really enjoy it as well. Can we just start then? I'm really intrigued to hear your sort of story about how you got into nutrition. Was it a transition for you in career or is it something that you have always done? I guess my interest in nutrition started from a a young age. My mum always fed us really good food and 
I do remember as a child picking onions straight out of the garden and eating them like apples. I don't think I could do that now, but I have such a memory of just being, rolling around, digging compost heaps, fingers, feet in the earth. And I was a proper Norfolk country girl and having the same rows that I now have with my own children about, oh, why do we always have to have the brown (laughs) stuff? And why do we always only ever get busy drinks like really occasionally and what's wrong with that like why are you always giving us that food and I had exactly the same conversations with my mum but (laughs) I really thank thanks mum because I'm 45 tomorrow actually it's my birthday tomorrow and you know I think I'm in pretty good health happy birthday thank you thank you and I think that foundation of good health I really attribute to my mum and so I think that's really stuck with me so I'm really hoping that my children that it sticks with them because there's some non-negotiables although I'm not so strict that my children have an unhealthy relationship with healthy food either but I think we've got to live and we've got to help them make the right choices. But I guess then moving through my 20s. So I was actually a TV producer and journalist in my 20s. <gasps> Were you? Yeah, worked on programmes like This Morning, GMTV. I even did a little tiny bit on Celebrity Big Brother, where I was looking after a very famous celebrity. I'm not wow. allowed to mention who, but one of the biggest celebrities probably <laughs> on the planet. <laughs> So, yeah, I worked in different worlds. And, yeah, I kind of just burnt out, Louise, and developed a really serious inflammatory bowel condition, which actually I don't have now. And I spent a few years actually just traveling the world. I spent a long time in South America and just took time out. And I was going to go back there. And I met my husband on holiday in the Canary Islands. So I stayed in Europe and there had a really serious car crash, broke my back, spent two and a half months laying flat on my back in hospital. And my dad had a new wife who was a nutritional therapist and she really helped me sort out my bowel issues and the people in the hospital were really shocked at how well my back healed and she she just really helped me with these most amazing supplements and I just decided I just didn't want to live in the rat race anymore and decided to retrain as a nutritional therapist so that's it in a nutshell long story but there that's how I ended up as a nutritional therapist oh my goodness Wow, I'm momentarily lost for words there. That was, that was a very quick roundup of some real, oh my goodness, traumatic times in your life. I didn't know that about your TV background. That's fascinating. There's me saying to you, have you done stuff like this before? Do you want to just <laughs> fiddle around with your headphones? You're probably like, yeah, all right, Louise. Yeah, mm. it's fine. But oh my goodness, to go through breaking your back. I mean, there's just, that's a whole episode, I think in itself, just that whole recovery and the mindset and the power of the mind, I guess, around that as well. But also, isn't it interesting how sometimes it takes those horrific moments in your life to cause us to have that complete pivot? And it's nice, I guess, as well for your clients that you can talk to them from a place of, I really do believe in the power of nutrition because I have seen it for myself. That probably links us really well on to to today's topic, because as I said at the start there, the microbiome, it's something that has been banded around for a few years, but I think it's become really hot, a hot topic, hasn't it, in the last sort of five to 10 years. And 
It's something that I have a level of understanding because as I'm passionate about nutrition and it's definitely something that helped me with my skin health journey. So it's why it's just part of what I do. But I obviously get to a point where I'm not qualified to take people to the next level. And that's why it's great to be able to refer to people like you. So for those that are completely ignorant or just a bit confused still like me, it might be really nice to start with talking about, first of all, what is it? Is there an explanation that we can perhaps all understand and then appreciate the importance of? And then we'll kind of delve into what this weird thing is, because I talk about the microbiome here. I'm touching my face at the moment. So topically, we know that there is a natural microbiome and a flora on the surface of the skin. But I'm guessing we're talking about the gut here, aren't we? We're talking about both, actually. I think when it comes to health, as you've rightly said, when it comes to the skin, we can't isolate the body's largest organ away from the rest of the body. (laughs) So when we're talking about the microbiome, we're talking about all the microbiome, which is vast. So the one that people tend to refer to when they talk about the microbiome is the one in the gut. And that is the one that has been the subject of most study. But, you know, the skin is our largest organ and we have a skin microbiome. We have an oral microbiome. We have a vaginal microbiome. We have a kidney microbiome. We have microbiomes, a breast microbiome, a placental microbiome. It's just incredible what we are discovering. A brain microbiome everywhere in our body has a microbiome. So what is this word microbiome? It means it it is a community of organisms, live organisms. Yeah. So you are more bacterial DNA than you are human DNA. I just find that incredible. And I think that we are mad, isn't it? And we are led to believe that bacteria is bad, right? Hopefully that shift is changing. But I think I see it still with my kids at school. It's bacteria bad. But actually, we have to start changing that message. Some bacteria might be bad. And even the bad bacteria aren't even that bad if we've got lots of good bacteria. And that's the really key thing. So One of the simplest ways to understand the microbiome, whichever microbiome you are talking about, I think, is to think of it like a garden. One of the most beautiful gardens is one that has a massive diversity of different flowers, plants, ferns, evergreens, annuals that pop up and grow. And there's always going to be weeds around. And actually, one of the things we know, because I'm quite a keen gardener, is that weeds aren't as bad as we thought they were either, right? Because weeds actually feed a lot of the bees. And that's the same with our gut microbiome, that there will always be weeds, And we just don't want the weeds to overgrow. So if we have lots of beautiful plants of all different types of plants will have different benefits to our soil. Yeah, if we have bare soil, then you've got space for weeds to grow. And that's the easiest way I think to think about our gut microbiome particularly in that the soil, if you like, is the lining of the gut and the internal space in the gut. And if we've got lots of lovely flowers, that helps to protect the lining of the gut and protect the space of the gut. And then the weeds can't grow, right? So if you think that a pathogenic bacteria might come in, so that's a potentially disease-causing pathogenic bacteria, we are exposed to these all the time, right? We kind of tend to think, salmonella, we're exposed to it all the time. The problem is when salmonella can populate and grow. If you've got more flowers you're going to have less space for pathogens to grow. And that's the same in the skin microbiome as well. If you've got more beautiful flowers in your skin microbiome, you know, you're going to have not so much space for the unwanted ones to grow. 
simple way to think about it. Oh, I love that. That analogy is brilliant. I work very much in a very sort of visual, obviously kinesthetic because of my work ways. I totally get it. It's a really brilliant way of understanding it. And actually, I didn't realise that we had a microbiome in the kidneys and in the breast tissue. And of course, we've got it in the mouth. As soon as you said that, I was like, of course, we've got it there. So yeah, I think just as you say, this understanding that we have to think about the body constantly working synergistically. And I I think the downside to westernised medicine is that we often have that thought process of we treat one thing at a time. Oh, there's a symptom. Let's attack the symptoms rather than what else is related to those symptoms? What other systems in the body could be playing a role here? And I think maybe that as well is where microbiome and probably why everyone goes, oh, it'll be to do with your gut health. It's all coming from the microbiome, but it probably really is. Why Can we go on then to having a chat about why it's so important then? And is there such a thing as being able to create a perfect balanced microbiome? You can. The really amazing thing, I think, is the power is in your hands. So you can make positive change to your gut microbiome in three days. That's really cool, right? That's quick. Yeah, really quick. There's been studies on things like sauerkraut or changing variety in your diet, adding one vegetable. Actually, you can make change quite quickly. In reverse, stress quite quickly can negatively affect your gut microbiome. Eating the wrong foods, ultra-processed foods can quite negatively affect your gut microbiome. And I think that is really good to know. Just having one bad meal is not going to have a massive impact. But if you constantly eat the wrong foods, then that will have an impact. One good meal is not enough to keep your microbiome happy. It needs to be a consistency, a regularity where the majority of your diet the majority of your lifestyle practice practices are beneficial for your body and then the rest will kind of take care of itself because I think in the same way our body needs to be in balance we need to approach life with balance I think unfortunately the majority of people particularly I find in the UK don't eat a healthy diet the majority do not eat a healthy diet and that is often lack of knowledge, lack of time, stress, lack of funds, cooking, access to the right equipment to cook with, and just a lack of knowledge of ultra processed foods, things that seem to be healthy, actually not being that healthy for us, not prioritizing things like sleep, being exposed to lots of toxins, all these things can have a negative impact on gut microbiome. And I've forgotten the original question as I went off on a tangent, Louise, so tell me, have I answered your question? <laughs> Well, you did. But do you know what? That's my fault because I got a bit excited and I asked you a question and then I followed up with another question, which you've just beautifully <laughs> answered. But the original question, and I'll stay with this, is why is it so important? What does it do for us, really? Yes. Yeah, so 70% of our immune cells are in our gut microbiome. So with immunity, really, really important. There is a lot of studies coming out. For example, I'm going to mention covid that if you have a healthier gut microbiome, it might be protective against COVID. So there's a really simple one that we can all really relate to right now. But what happens is that if we have an imbalanced gut microbiome, that can affect how we digest our food and how we produce nutrients. Actually, the gut microbiome, they do produce some really important nutrients. They help us to unlock some nutrients as well. For example, for perimenopausal women, we talk a lot about eating soya and phytoestrogens, so they're those plant estrogens. If we've got an unhealthy gut microbiome, we can't unlock those and utilize those particularly well. So it's really important that we have a healthy gut microbiome for those reasons. 
can't make vitamin K or, well, the gut microbiome helps us to make vitamin K, I should say, even some of the B vitamins, which are really important for detoxification and energy. So they actually do produce nutrients. The gut microbiome helps to protect our gut lining. So there's a really important one when it comes to skin health. If you think about our skin as a barrier, the lining of the gut is a barrier. It's an internal skin. So, you know, we're putting in food all the time. It's one of the areas that is so exposed to external toxins in the same way that, you know, I'm touching my skin now. This is our barrier. Internally, it's an internal skin, that gut lining. Yeah. And it stops stuff getting into our body that we don't want in there. If we have an imbalanced gut microbiome, we might be making more inflammatory compounds and we're not protecting that soil that I talked about in our garden. And then things can get into our body that we don't want and we can start creating inflammatory chemicals. We used to, 15 years ago, call it leaky gut, but we kind of tend not to use that expression so much more. So you might call it disrupted barrier function. (laughs) So we tend to call it more intestinal barrier dysfunction now. Leaky gut's gone a bit out of fashion, but that's effectively what it is, that (laughs) the cells that line the gut are not so tight. It doesn't mean that you've got big holes in your gut. It just means that those lovely cells that line your gut, they're not as tight as they should be. And they do open and close all the time, but they can become dysregulated and open too much. So that barrier function is dysregulated. And so your gut microbiome have a really important role there. And the other thing they really do is they take the fiber from the food that you eat. They chew it up, they ferment it. They don't actually have teeth, but I like to think of them kind of chewing and fermenting it. And they create these compounds called short chain fatty acids. And it's those short chain fatty acids that really communicate with the rest of our body. They communicate with our brain, they communicate with our skin, and they actually form food for the gut lining as well. So they keep that gut lining nice and happy and healthy. So if you have a disrupted gut microbiome, i.e. dysbiosis, we call it, rather than symbiosis, rather than balance, you are more likely to have gut barrier dysfunction. You're more likely to have food intolerances and those can create inflammatory chemicals, which can then affect our skin. So that's one of the ways that we have this connection between our gut and our skin. Amazing. It is fascinating. And as you were talking there, I just had this like little extra light bulb moment because you've just explained the barrier function of the gut, if you like, in the same way that I constantly talk about the lipid barrier. All my clients are like, oh God, she's going to mention the lipid barrier. But actually it's doing the same, isn't it? Because I say to them, if we are, if you have broken down and disrupted your lipid barrier, which let's face it, can happen at any time, even somebody that really looks after their skin is very aware of what they're putting on very aware if they've been on a flight or they've been unwell, it can change all of the time. So if you've broken down that barrier, your skin in the simplest term is open, as in it may become more sensitised to products that you've used for years and suddenly you can't tolerate them. You're losing things from your skin. So you're losing the water, you're getting transepidermal water loss, the fats are broken down. And it's actually kind of the same thing, isn't it, with the gut? Exactly what you were saying about if you've got that sort of disruption there and the gut is more open in a very simple term in my mind, then sometimes you'll eat something and all of a sudden you're getting symptoms because it's irritating the lining. You're not absorbing those nutrients from the food and you're not able to keep those toxins, inverted commas, out. So 
it really is so closely linked to the skin and how they behave as well, isn't it? Which is just amazing. I was going to say that cross relationship between the skin and the gut, because it's a two way thing as well, because if that skin barrier is more open and then you're getting more toxins coming into your skin, that's also negatively going to affect your gut as well. So it's not just that the gut microbiome is affecting skin, microbiome will affect the gut as well. Oh my goodness. See, I knew this was brilliant. I knew this was a good topic to chat about. One thing I'm just going to pick up on that you said then, I quickly scrawled a note down because you mentioned about perimenopause. We always Mm. end up talking about this as well. Again, selfishly, that's me at the moment and lots of other women, obviously. So uh, my ears pricked up when you mentioned about eating soya and the phytoestrogens that we can get as benefit from them. But can you just confirm we're talking about whole foods here? We're not talking about I'll nip off and buy some soya milk or some soya yogurt that I'm guessing because it's more processed, it's going to be packed with sugar isn't going to be good. Or am I wrong with saying that? You are right. So whole foods as much as possibly can, because a lot of the research that's done on the benefits of phytoestrogens are done on populations where they eat very traditional forms of soya, which doesn't really include the type of soya yogurt and soya milk that we drink. So you really want to be looking at things like tofu, tempeh, particularly tempeh, natto even, which are more fermented types of soya. And actually having that ferment in it can help to make the phytoestrogens or something like miso, miso soup. It's one of my favourite kind of hot drinks is like a heaped teaspoon of miso in a hot water. It's really nourishing energizing so that kind of thing so definitely yeah looking at whole foods and there's so many other sources of phytoestrogens not just soya and what I would say is if you're not someone who eats a lot of soya you don't want to go from naught to 100 because you're suddenly going to ramp up your phytoestrogen intake and that's when it could potentially be too much right so if you've always eaten soya continue if you've never eaten soya go gradually go slowly don't suddenly overwhelm your phy- your estrogen receptors with a ton of soya and just go slowly and use other phytoestrogens like flaxseed and beans and pulses and vegetables and nuts and seeds plants in general will have some phytoestrogens one of my favorites is ground flaxseed because the great thing about ground flaxseed is it's really balancing really feeds our gut microbiome keeps our gut moving which is also really important when we're talking about hormone balance. So one of the most negative ways that the gut microbiome could affect the skin is if you're not going to the toilet, get your toxins out. So you've got to emphasize a really good bowel movement. And I say to my clients, even if you've always only ever gone to the loo, sorry to bring it back to this, everyone always laughs at me, Louise, because I'm always talking about number twos, but it's so important. Do you know what? I have got a note here that says talk about poo. So we're going to do that. We will absolutely do that. (laughs) Even if you've always only ever gone once every three days, doesn't mean that's healthy. Because people say that's my normal, but that doesn't mean it's healthy. Like We've got food in, poo out. And actually really important, people don't realise, is that we clear toxins through our poo. We clear excess estrogens through our poo, right? So your liver does this amazing job of breaking down excess estrogen that you don't need. And then if you're not pooing it out, it can recirculate. And that's another area where the microbiome has a massive balance because if you've got dysbiosis in your gut microbiome, your microbiome, certain organisms can create something called beta-glucuronidase, which is an enzyme that splits up the estrogen. So the estrogen gets packaged up. What the estrogen you don't need, it gets packaged up 
almost like in a suitcase and gets taken out through your poo. If you're constipated and you have dysbiosis, you'll make more beta-glucuronidase, which basically takes the estrogen out of, out of the suitcase so it can't be carried out and it starts recirculating in your body. Amazing, right? So we know so much you can do. Oh my goodness, where to start? First of all, you've just reminded me, I used to have a regular miso soup habit and I haven't had that now probably for about five years I just sat here and went why don't I drink that anymore I used yeah so thank you for that that's going back on my shopping list because sometimes at work on a busy client day I'd have my lunch especially in the winter then you get to mid-afternoon and I'd think I'm gonna have a miso soup because it Mm. feels like you're it's nourishing and Mm. it actually fills you up a bit as well so that thank you for that secondly flaxseed. I have a daily flaxseed habit and it is definitely something that I'm obviously aware of that it has that really good skin benefit because it's one of the things I always say to my clients, are you eating flaxseeds? Are you eating your chia seeds? Are you taking on board your bull nuts if you obviously don't have a nut allergy? So that again is fascinating to hear that does have an effect on the estrogens, which again all comes from that sort of assimilation from the gut as well. We do need to talk about poo because a question that I always ask <laughs> new clients, it's, I'm like, it's a bit personal, but we're going there, is what are your bowel movements like? And most people now, obviously it's in a very quiet, confidential environment, so most people are actually quite happy to talk about it as well. So I'm going to go there. Let's do it. We're going there. What should we look for? I can't believe I'm saying this, but what should we look for in terms of, okay, you're going to the loo, you're having a poo and that's good and healthy and normal. And then what kind of alarm bells should be ringing? Can those symptoms come from our daily toilet habits in terms of, yep, you've got an issue with your microbiome here? I think it's really important and we have to talk about poo. I don't know about you, like I've got a teenager and an 11-year-old now and I still ask them about their poo because once they get to a certain age and they're out in nappies, <laughs> you don't know anymore. And actually you might have, say, for example, some teenagers in your clinic with acne who might be really embarrassed about talking about the poo. Mum probably's got no idea. But I think, again, it's important to go there. So if any parents are listening, I would really encourage you to just check in sometimes with your kids. Are you having a good poo? Because they're going to be so embarrassed to talk about it. My kids like, mom, my poo's gone funny today. Like, they just straight in there because we're just so used to talking about it. So it is really important. And a key thing that demonstrates how, like, how our microbiome and our poo affects the rest of our health. If you have had children or ever changed a child's nappy when they're teething, isn't it rancid and it changes and it goes almost like a yellowy colour? It's inflammatory, immune stuff. It has an impact on our gut microbiome and our poo, right? So that just shows you. But obviously, we don't tend to look. So have a look back next time you have a poo and have a look at what it is like. So things to look out for. If you want to go really in depth, I encourage listeners to Google the Bristol stool chart. So that's a good place to have a look because there's visual pictures of that. So we want to be having a normal kind of sausage shape. So we don't want to be going Mr. Whippy style. We don't want to be urgently running to the toilet and it you can't hold it in. We also on the same time don't want to be going rabbit dropping, sheep dropping style. So if it's like little bits, either individually or so raisins or clumps of raisins might indicate constipation. And if it's more yellow rather than a kind of nice earthy brown 
or too black. And obviously any sudden changes in your bowel movement, you must go and see your doctor straight away. It's really important to say that. Any blood or anything like that in your poo, don't be embarrassed, go and speak to your doctor. It's really important to go and discuss any changes like that. But, and also a lot of women will find their poo will change according to their cycle as well. Have you ever noticed that in different times of your menstrual cycle that you go quicker, it changes as well. And that is because of the impact of Hormones like estrogen on our bowel, they do have an impact. Actually, progesterone really can relax our bowel so that we can absorb our nutrients really well. So in the second half of the cycle, you might find that you go a bit better because we have that progesterone surge. So those hormones do really have an impact on our bowel. Other things to look out for is if you're not absorbing fat particularly well, you might sometimes notice little almost drops of fat on the toilet water because it doesn't emulsify. So you can notice that. A really good thing to spot as well. If you notice any undigested food in your poo, then simple fact, you are not chewing properly. Okay. So if there's a whole pea in there, you're eating too fast. (laughs) (laughs) And that's really important. Like where does digestion start? Digestion starts, it actually starts in our brain, but it starts in our mouth. And we talked a little bit earlier about kind of food allergies and intolerances. Like you are going to be more susceptible to food intolerances and microbiome disturbances if you are not chewing your food properly. And the digestive system is a little bit like those domino tracks, right? Once you start one domino, it hits on the next. So if you are not relaxed when you're eating, and you're more in the stress response, we are in fight or flight state, fight or flight state. So body thinks you're about to be eaten by a tiger or something. It thinks you're still a cave woman. So it might just be, oh, I've missed my deadline or, oh gosh, that person just had a gut me or I'm in a traffic jam. Your body does not distinguish that kind of stress from being a cave woman and being about to be eaten by a tiger. So it doesn't want to digest your food at that time. All the digestive secretions, all the blood goes away from your digestive system, prioritizing your limbs so that you can run away or fight. So already we're in a state of I'm not going to digest my food properly. And then if we're eating too quickly, we're probably not going to chew. If we don't chew properly, we're not stimulating the lovely enzymes in our mouth and we're not mechanically mechanically breaking down our food. If we're not doing that, when we're getting bits of food in our stomach that are not broken down properly and we're not getting that enzyme starting. Yeah, if we're then chewing our food properly, we've not got enough surface area for the hydrochloric acid in the stomach to break down the food. If we're not then getting an acidic enough ball of food, we're not then stimulating our bile, which means we're not going to break down our fat. We're not stimulating digestive enzymes in the small intestine. We're not going to break down our food. We've got whole lumps of proteins getting down into the lower end of the intestine, which stimulates food intolerance reactions, which means that dysbiosis become imbalanced because you get putrefaction with all the fermentation of the wrong kinds of foods going on in there, inflammation at the gut lining, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Vicious cycle, right? It's a long old story there, but you know, it's like this domino. So the really simplest, easiest things, I love it. Like it's just, have clients come to see me for IBS, Louise, and we start with, okay, I just want you, when you're eating, to do nothing else but eating. Chew your food properly so well so that when you swallow, you're swallowing liquid. And before you even start to eat, just take three really deep breaths. Because if you properly expand your digestive system, properly expand your abdomen, so belly breath rather than chest breath, that yogic breath, 
you pull down on your diaphragm, you activate that signal with your vagus nerve and your body says, oh, okay, I'm relaxed now. So I'll come out of fight or flight. We go into parasympathetic response. Just three deep breaths. It is so powerful and it just has a profound impact. People's IBS significantly drops just by eating in a relaxed environment. And even if you have to sit at your desk, just turn away from the screen, right? Three deep breaths, chew, chew, and chew some more. It's just life-changing. And it's the simplest stuff. Like people get so into, I've got to do a really complex, gluten-free, dairy-free, whatever-free diet. Sometimes we just don't need to do all those things. It's the simplest things first. And that's how I work with my clients. I build on this really simple foundation because why go super complex ramp up your stress load by a stressful diet because trying to be really strict isn't going to help either sorry I might have gone on a bit of a tangent but that all affects the microbiome I just believe in simplicity and simplicity with our food as well. And that's the thing is I think we've got foods coming into our diet which are so artificial to our body. Just coming back to a lot of people say, oh, my diet's a bit meat and three veg. What? Actually, meat and three veg is a pretty good diet. Much rather you're eating that (laughs) than eating some artificial processed stuff. Cooking a bit of meat, cooking several vegetables, maybe some new potatoes. Brilliant. Keep it simple. Keep yeah, it simple. Absolutely. I'm just going to interrupt your listening there for a few minutes because I am so excited, beyond excited, to let you know that we have managed to launch our second product in the Louise Thomas Skin Care range. If you hang on all the way to the end and the fly on the wall section, you'll hear a little bit more about this journey and then you'll understand it's been quite that journey. So let me tell you a bit about the hydrator. Well, it is a hybrid moisturiser giving you 365 days of luminosity to your skin. And when I say hybrid, what I mean by that is that it has some really beautiful, almost serum-like actives within your moisturiser, making it a great product, a cost-effective way of delivering really nice uh, botanicals and active ingredients to your skin, coupled with some great hydration. It's a 24-hour cream, so you can use it morning and evening. You will, of course, need to put your sunscreen over the top in the morning. And it contains Tasman pepperberry, which is protecting, calming and great for sensitised skin. I've also chosen a really superior form of vitamin C, which offers exceptional absorption, resulting in radiance and a brighter complexion. And of course, like the cleanser, it's developed with our unique moisturising complex that means that when you use this, it supports that all-important lipid barrier that I am obsessed with as a skin health expert and always talking to my clients about. We need to build and replace those amazing barrier lipids for the skin to be able to thrive and function. We're really proud that this product is made in the UK and it's also vegan friendly too. So if you're a vegan, you're going to love it. You can shop the hydrator at louisethomasskincare.co.uk. And just pulling back on what you were saying there about the very basics of I'm sitting here, as you were saying about chewing, thinking, yeah, that I could definitely 
chew more. And I watch Maggie, who's only, she's nearly seven. She's really hungry, despite the fact that she's come home from school and had multiple snacks, but she's still really hungry at tea time. And I constantly say to her, Maggie, slow down. Just relax and slow down because we've all been there. We just want to get that food in. But then it makes sense again to me that if you first of all have somebody that is in that constant low level fight or flight phase of stress that unfortunately most of us are either in all of the time or we definitely dip in and out of a lot. So first of all, as you've said, you've just explained beautifully why your body now will not be able to digest the food properly and it's going to give rise to these symptoms that are awful, plus you're affecting negatively your microbiome. But then it also makes sense that your skin is the largest organ of the body. So your skin may be the organ that goes, hello, just in case you haven't realised because the fact that you keep having to dash to the loo, you're bloated, you've got chronic stomach pain. I'm actually going to break out in loads of spotty outbreaks or actually let's give you a little bit of a dose of rosacea at the same time because everything is so inflamed in your gut that your skin is kind of helping you out by going, last port of call, you're going to have this as well. So I must just touch on that if that's okay. If we look at something like rosacea, for example, because I get a lot of questions about it, I get a lot of people that come and see us about it, and it's a really tough condition to treat because there is no cure, inverted commas. It can be genetic, but for a lot of people, I again do believe that it's coming from that gut response. So if there were things, first of all, you've given us some brilliant take-homes about slow down, take some breaths, get your body prepared to eat and chew really well. But are there, say, two or three foods that you would go, right, okay, if you've got an inflammatory skin issue, make sure that you have this in your diet and really make sure that you have very little of that in your diet? Yeah, great question. So absolutely, I completely agree with you with rosacea that there is such connection with the gut and the liver. And so really important to look in what internally and I look at symptoms as like you, it's like, it's like a flag. It's hi, I'm here. I kind of try and I know it's really hard when you're experiencing it, but a little bit of, whoa, amazing body. Thank you for telling me there's something going on with my gut. Trying to slightly reframe that. It's giving you clues. It's really telling you potentially what's going on. So I think any inflammatory condition, you have to look at anti-inflammatory fats. Really, really important getting the right fats in your diet and we'll come back to the lipid barrier (laughs) but you know those anti-inflammatory fats are so important (laughs) so certain fats will help to increase anti-inflammatory prostaglandins so they are the compounds that help reduce inflammation certain fats will increase pro-inflammatory prostaglandins and other chemicals which are the mediators that create inflammation yeah So the anti-inflammatory fats are particularly the omega fats, omega-3 and 6 and 9. So oily fish, if you are not a vegetarian, go for the smaller fish, much more sustainable. So things like sardines, good old tinned sardines in olive oil, not in tomato sauce because you'll be loading up the sugar. Tinned sardines are such a superfood, really good. And particularly when you have them tinned, you've got all those bones in there, which means that you're getting collagen and calcium. Yeah, so good for building bones, good for building skin, right? So tinned sardines, mackerel, smoked mackerel, 
salmon, those kind of things, right? That's one thing. A couple of times a week, most people don't hit the oily fish requirements. Another way is flaxseed, again, nuts and seeds, small portions of unroasted, unsalted, not your KP peanuts on the bar. Raw nuts. Yeah, occasionally they're fine. It's a treat if that's what you want, but that's not your daily intake. Nuts and seeds. And it's habit, right? So for example, one of our quick Wednesday night meals, because we've got activities going on, is we call it breakfast at tea, right? So we have some organic sausages, bacon, eggs, but we've got beans. And then my husband goes, oh, the salad. I'm like, yes, the salad. And I will put peppers, spinach, cucumber, cucumber, avocado, so healthy fats, and sprinkle pumpkin seeds on top, right? So it's all the time, like one of my big philosophies with food is what can I add? What can I add? What can I add? So you're always thinking, can I add something? So always think about getting those healthy fats in. So seeds, nuts, uh, really great source. You mentioned walnuts earlier, really good source of omega-3s. And then your monounsaturated, so that's things like avocados, also extra virgin olive oil. And it's really good extra virgin olive oil for your gut lining and your microbiome. They like it a lot, olives as well. But your cold pressed extra virgin olive oil, put it on your food after cooking. Don't use that really good, don't just rely on it for cooking because it's not cold pressed and it's not cold anymore once you then start using it for your cooking so pouring a little bit on afterwards on your salads that's not one food but that's the healthy food group that I would say and then thinking about any anti-inflammatory condition I think just foods just to be really aware of are your pro-inflammatory foods so that's your ultra processed foods right so if you look at a food label and you don't know what some of the ingredients are it sounds like a science experiment it's got Di ester polysteroidy what fatty acid things that sound like a science experiment that if you couldn't go and pick up the majority of those ingredients and make it into the food yourself if it's not an ingredient list that you could recognize from a recipe then try and stay away from it as much as you possibly can and that doesn't mean you shouldn't ever buy food in packets for example i love like all the pre-cooked lentils and quinoa and like the lovely kind of pulse salads that you can do with herbs and spices they have lots of ingredients but they're ingredients that you would recognize right different herbs and spices so yeah trying to get natural foods in so avoiding the ultra processed foods I'm going to mention sugar. I know everyone's so fed up of hearing about sugar. We have to. <laughs> we have to. Yeah. It's one of the most pro-inflammatory things. And if you think about, we talked about that garden in the gut microbiome earlier. We want fertilizer for our flowers. So fertilizer for our flowers is fiber and rainbow, right? So rainbow plant foods. So foods of all different colors. You've got to get them in. I'd really like to set your listeners a challenge. I would challenge you and you Louise to write down just tick off how many different foods plant foods you eat in a week oh that's a good one most people are struggling to hit 30 30 is a minimum I like to be at people more to 50 so even if you put a pinch of oregano in a dish you count that as one and you only count oregano once in a week so it's not the it's not the quantity it's the different variety so i challenge your your listeners to write down just get a table get an excel table or and just put 
draw a grid on a piece of paper and every time you cook or every time you eat something write down all the different plant foods so if your curry has got cumin turmeric coriander onions and garlic that's five foods right amazing but you only count them once in a week so yeah so you probably are doing better than you think but it's that variety that creates the diversity in our gut microbiome yeah yeah that's that's brilliant now if we look at the weeds what is going to fertilize the weeds is sugar is going to fertilize the weeds white flour is going to fertilize the weeds like white refined grains is going to fertilize the weeds so rainbow of plant foods packed with fiber fertilizes your healthy gut microbiome sugar and white carbs fertilize your your weeds in your gut simple oh my goodness so many amazing takeaways and actually not literally don't go and order a takeaway (laughs) but as in (laughs) but things that you can they're simple things, but I just feel that we need reminding of them the, without getting obsessive, but making a little note of, oh, yeah, actually, I haven't eaten avocado for ages or, yeah, why have I shied away from spinach for the last month? Sometimes we're so in it and busy and running around. And I hate it when I have a week where I haven't had a chance to properly think my food through. And thankfully, generally, we always have good, healthy stuff in the house. But I get really stressed out if I go, oh, but we had that last week because I try and create that sort of variety. So I think if you're able to do that, then it just it also helps with your shopping list. We could literally go on and on, Catherine. So I think I would love to have you back at some point if that's okay, because I feel that we can dip into Oh, thank you. And another topic and go with that. But I must just ask you this before we finish, because something I ask every guest, I'm a bit obsessed and fascinated as well by people's skincare rituals. So I'd love to know, is there anything or any things when you were growing up or anybody that you used to observe doing their skin routine or things that you do now that you go, oh yeah, that's because my nan used to do that. Or so yeah, your skincare rituals, I would be fascinated to know what they are if there were any yes my my mum i just remember the olive oil olive ule that it used to be called that's oh yeah change my, my, ole yeah. ule yeah so that's <laughs> what i remember with my mum just always that was her skin product i think it probably still is actually so i just always remember my mum putting that on her skin but i never really as a child had problematic skin i've always been lucky i think genetically i think there definitely is genetics but also combined with having a healthy diet and i spent a lot of time outside playing in the dirt (laughs) it's one of the best things for our microbiome so i wasn't a clean child (laughs) and it is really important to be part of nature so i never really did a lot with my skin i probably never even cleansed or toned or moisturized and actually I always, up until early 40s, found that my skin was better if I didn't do much to it. But I've always chosen natural skincare products. So, you know, really nice natural brands, watching out for things like parabens, natural ingredients. An interesting one for me is that I can't tolerate too many essential oils either. And we tend to think, oh, that's natural. That's really good. But it really does seem to block my pores. And I don't get spots unless I have something that's got too much it's too rich there's too many essential oils but I am now definitely full-on in perimenopause Louise and my skin has changed and it's a really big lesson for me because my skin is just soaking up moisturizer I used to find that I only really moisturize 
once or twice a week because my skin wouldn't like it. it it seemed to block it but now it just wants it so every day I'm using a I use a fairly light moisturizer because I don't like to overwhelm my skin but I use a facial oil every day and it's just really brightened up my skin I find so that's kind of the rituals that I have now a little bit of makeup but again it's as natural as I possibly can get it with balance I guess because there's a few products that maybe aren't quite so natural that sometimes I use because I just really like them and I think that's the balance that we all have to strike. Yeah absolutely and I think that's really interesting when and I again hear this a lot when people don't have skin issues I totally understand that it's not a focus for you whereas for me it wasn't a focus until I was about 17 and then I got horrific acne and then it was an obsession of mine. But actually, I do think that it sounds very odd, a skin therapist and a formulator saying this, but when people do over treat their skin, they do too much to it. And actually, sometimes I will say to clients, you need to calm that down because actually what you're doing, I know you think you're doing the right thing, but you're overdoing, you're overstimulating your skin. And then generally, we then pull back to nutrition and we have that inside out chat first. Let's get that in order as well before we start getting really carried away and excited about actives and more inverted commas invasive treatments as well. We definitely could have more of a conversation about the whole natural skincare because it's a little bit of a bugbear of mine and there's a lot of companies that are leading us down the very wrong natural path because we know that everything is a chemical. So I wouldn't worry too much about being scared about using certain things. However, you're quite right. There are a lot of people that are that have issues with essential oils. So it's definitely something that you do need to be very careful of and respect, I think, when you're dabbling with essential oils. But that was, yeah, a fascinating insight. Thank you for sharing that with us. And as I say, I think, again, is just a really nice message that sometimes if it isn't, you know, broke, don't fix it. It's about maintenance and health. And an ingredient that you, if you're not already doing, that would be great for you is hyaluronic acid. So found in our body, it's a component of our extracellular matrix in our skin. It's around our joints, isn't it? In our synovial fluid. But to apply that topically in a serum on a slightly damp skin before your moisturiser will really help you as we dip our toe into that sort of perimenopause phase. So a little, yeah, a little tip back there for you. So Catherine, what I'd love to know what's next for you. Where can we find you? Tell us before you go about your sort of approach to treating clients. And I will pop it in the show notes as well, but feel free to tell us about where can we find you and reach out and learn more about what you do. Good place to start is my Instagram or Facebook. If you just, I think you just Google me or Louise can put it down underneath Catherine Jeans, it's Catherine underscore Jeans. I think it's on Instagram. And I do a lot of messaging there about my balanced approach to nutrition and any courses that I have coming up. I also have my one-to-one clinic, which is online. And I see clients on a one-to-one basis who might need some more in-depth support. I use a lot of functional testing as well to find out more about the gut microbiome. So I actually test people's poo and see what their gut microbiome is doing which is so fascinating I love it I don't actually do the poo testing really? my ad. it gets sent off to say let's yeah just clarify that yeah I do not look at your poo you will send that off to the lab and then I look at the results yeah let's just clarify that 
and tend to work with people who need ongoing support because it's not just about what we need to learn about nutrition it's about changing habits and I do a lot of coaching and accountability when I work with people because it's about getting people to create lifelong change that's what I think is really important and I do see a lot of children in my clinic as well it's a really passionate area of mine so I work a lot with neurodiversity ADHD autism spectrum disorders as well and I do some online courses and I teach yoga as part of those online courses as well, which is just such a joy for me. I qualified in lockdown, actually. I've been in yoga for years, but I got my yoga qualification in the first couple of lockdowns. It was my project that I immersed myself in, which was great. And coming back to that stress connection, I, yesterday, actually, I started my 40-day perimenopause reset group online program and there's yoga as part of that because we have to look at the stress and same with skin you've got to look at the stress and then I do weight loss group programs as well and I've got another one starting in June but just get on my social media or my website which is the family nutrition expert.com and you'll find all the information if anyone wants to get in touch ask me any questions or book to see me Oh, fantastic. Thank you so much, Catherine. As I say, we'll definitely get you back on and we'll work out where do we go from here. But in the meantime, as I say, I will add all of that to the show notes. And I'm already thinking about what I'm going to have for lunch today, which is brilliant. So you've inspired me and given me some ideas. So thank you very much indeed. Thanks for having me. Well, I sincerely hope you weren't eating when you listened to that episode, um, it was inevitable that if we're talking about nutrition and the microbiome and gut health, we were going to end up talking about poo. So I really do hope that it didn't put you off your food, but I really hope that you learnt a lot. I know I certainly did. And I'd like to think that I've got a really good broad knowledge of nutritional health and of course, the importance of the microbiome from a skin perspective. But it really, really did open my eyes to understanding that we absolutely have to think of the human body and all of the organs and everything that goes on within it as working synergistically. It really is important to look at it that way and not isolate different areas of the body from one another. And of course, that goes for skin health as well. It's it's all very well looking at what's on the surface, but we need to have an understanding that everything else within that body is going to have an impact. It all plays a really important role. And of course, our body is always trying to strive for balance, strive for homeostasis. And if something is out of balance, then it's it's kind of really understandable that something else is going to go out of balance as well. So it certainly plays to my approach to looking at you as an individual. It's it's how I've been treating skin for the last 26 years with my clients. It's behind the philosophy and the values within my skincare range as well. So, you know, you are unique, you are individual and we have to treat you that way. Um, It really is not one size fits all. I'd love it if you could remember to like, maybe make a comment and of course subscribe because there is still one more episode to come. It's a 
brilliant one uh, for the end of season two. My goodness, that's come around quickly. Um, But please subscribe because then you'll get the notifications. And also, it really does help to support us, to support me as a podcaster. And it motivates me to keep going, but it also shows me and others that it's worthy of a listen. So thank you so, so much if you have done that already. I am so grateful. I love bringing this to you and my mission is to educate you and empower you all to take control of your own skin health. 